So anyway, I, I like to keep them happy. But anyway, uh, Luke chapter 24, and uh, of course Jesus has risen from the dead. He died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he rose again, and word is just starting to circulate. As uh, Remember, the ladies went to anoint his body and got there, and the stone was rolled away, and the message began to ring out, and of course, different disciples had already made their way down, and, and the Lord had to begin to show himself. But here we go to chapter 24 and verse 32, and I want to preach tonight on this thought, heavenly and holy heartburn. Luke 24, 32 said this, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. The Bible tells us about uh, this couple that's walking along here, and uh, look if you would in verse 13 of the chapter, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. Notice, first of all, if you would, the troubled couple that's walking along here. The Bible said, Behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And, of course, we notice their destination. They're headed to the village of Emmaus. And, uh, you know, Emmaus, as it's mentioned here in the Bible, there's been a lot of guessing around the city of Jerusalem. There are several villages that are nearby, and Jerusalem is that city that's set on the hill. When you're reading your Bible, whether you're going from the north, south, east, or west, the Bible always talks about going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is an elevated city, and so uh, wherever you come from, you're going up. One of the highlights that uh, I always enjoy when we've gone in the past is as we're coming into Jerusalem for the first time, they always play that song, uh, The Holy City. And, uh, man, that's a powerful song. And, and uh, you know, always like it. it just gives you kind of chills when you're coming up that hill. And all of a sudden, as soon as you uh, peek the top there, you can see the city of Jerusalem. You can see some of the setting like the, uh, you know, the Temple Mount and things like that. And just, to me, it always grabs my heart. And I told Miss Graham, in fact, is on our newest CD, that song's on there. And I put it on really for one reason. I said, I'd like for us to be able to have that playing when we go to Jerusalem and, uh, you know, use it. I, I didn't know uh, necessarily who they'd have sing it because the bus would always have it on there. So uh, we recorded it just for that reason and, uh, and uh, honestly so that we could use it when we were there and we were able to do that. And Well, I don't know, just something about, you know, going up to Jerusalem. But now there's a lot of discouragement and they're leaving Jerusalem headed to a village called Emmaus. We noticed the, their distance. The Bible said that they went about uh, uh, three score furlongs or about seven miles. So you can imagine as they're walking along, we notice not only their destination and their distance, but their distinction. In verse 18, it tells us of one of the disciples by name. It says here in one of them, uh, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him. Now he begins to speak to Jesus. So we're told one of the names and the other is unnamed. Now this is... You know, when the Bible's silent about something, be careful about being dogmatic. It's sort of like when Peter said, I go fishing, and a bunch of other disciples went with him. Well, the Bible told us who some of them were, but it didn't tell us who all of them were. And I've heard guys preach sermons that said, you know, I know exactly who it was. Well, I don't, because the Bible doesn't tell me. I don't know for sure who this other person is, but I will give you my opinion and uh, you don't have to agree with me, but I think it's interesting. Uh, I really think the uh, theological debates, uh, dear friend, uh, uh, can, you know, 
just be that, but I sort of think, this is just my thinking, that maybe it's his wife. Uh, you know, a, a wife can be a disciple. Hello. She can't be an apostle, but she could sure be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. She could be a follower of Christ. And it's interesting to me, John 19, 25 said, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and uh, Mary Magdalene. So it's quite possible that this is a man and a wife walking. After all, they are going to their home village, and after all, they are going to their house. So it's a good possibility that this was his wife. And, and uh, to me, that is practical, but you know, I wouldn't debate if anybody saw it differently. I just think it's interesting that we get his name mentioned here. But we notice as they're walking along, they're very troubled because a lot of things have happened, of course, Imagine if you can what's gone on as Jesus has died on the cross and he's been buried and now people are beginning to say, hey, he's not there, he's risen. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, concern and, and really consideration going on. But notice, secondly, the tremendous conversation that begins to take place in verse 15. Uh, the Bible said, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Notice, if you would, that first of all, the, the, the tremendous conversation begins with the presence of the Savior. What an exciting thing. Now, they don't yet know who it is. The Bible tells us that their eyes were holden. And so uh, Jesus shows up. They're walking along and all of a sudden, Christ is right there in the midst of them and they're uh, walking along and apparently they're really pooch-lipped, sad in their conversation. They're probably moving just at a slower pace, kind of trying to figure it all out in their mind. And, and all of a sudden, they have the presence of the Master. You know, one of the interesting things about this Christian journey is when we got saved and the Holy Spirit took up His abode in us, He's always with us. But sometimes we don't always realize that He's there. And sometimes we don't even understand that His presence is there. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. The presence of the Master. But notice the puzzlement of the mystery. Now, how could they not know who Jesus is? These are followers of Christ. These are people that had sat at the feet of Jesus. These are people that had heard Him preach. These are people that had watched Him perform miracles. These are people that knew a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said, but their eyes were holden that they should not know Him. I do find an answer in Mark chapter 16 and verse 12. The Bible said, after that He appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. I don't know exactly the reason why, but somehow the Lord has either caused them not to recognize who He was, as the Bible called it, by their eyes being holden or taking on another form. But one thing I know at this moment, uh, he seems to be disguised from them. To them, he's just that stranger of Galilee. He's just that man that's walking by them in conversation. And, and so they're kind of, uh, you know, walking along totally at this moment, unaware of who he is. But notice the powerful message that begins to unfold. We see his inquiry in verse 17. He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Could I just stop and say that on our worst day, as a child of God, we ought to show a different spirit than what the world sees? 
There's a lot of bad things happening in our world right now. I mean, it's crazy. Years ago, and when I first went to Benton in 1988, a man wrote a book on 88 reasons why Jesus was going to return in 88. He had to revise it for 89. And he kind of passed off the scene. I don't remember all of his name, but I do know the name Nut was in his name. And I'm not trying to be unkind if you're related to him tonight. I'm just saying it was interesting. But when that book got out, we had a lady in our community. She was at the bank waiting for an appointment. While she was waiting to meet with the banker, she saw that book laying there. And preacher, she began to look through it. And she got so scared, she left the bank, didn't keep her appointment, and for some reason drove out to our church, walked in the door. The secretary was sitting at her desk, and she said, Ma'am, is this true? Is Jesus coming this year? And she was shook to the core. And she said, you know, it's interesting you'd ask that. Our preacher just addressed that book last night. and He told us that nobody knows the day, nobody knows the hour. But what is important is that one of these days Jesus is coming again. And you must be ready for that. And she said, well, what do I need to do to get ready? And the secretary had the privilege of leading her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I even out of a man's book that had maybe some of his doctrine confused, that precious lady came to know Christ as her personal Savior. But, you know, oftentimes when we think about uh, what Jesus begins to uh, do in people's lives as He begins to talk to them and to uh, ask them, uh, why are you so sad? Uh, they're just shocked. By the way, and I said a while ago, in the craziness of our world and all that's going on, you and I as God's people cannot lose hope. We've got to understand we're on the winning side. Uh, the songwriter said he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. You know, we used to hear it preached in years gone by that in the last days perilous times will come. And then we're always shocked when they do. But they are going to come, aren't they? And I'm not preaching prophecy tonight, but I am saying this. As a child of God, dear friends, somehow our spirit, our attitude ought to be different than the world's. We're on the winning side. We're going to live as long as God lives. Heaven's our home and everything's all right in our Father's house. But notice His inquiry. Then notice their intrigue. As Jesus began to ask them, why are you like this? Why are you sad? What's your conversation about? And, and, uh, and I, I kind of get the feeling that Cleopas looked at Him and said something like this, where have you been hiding? How could you not know? This is the talk of everybody within our community. It was a very, very big deal what had happened in uh, Jerusalem at that time. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was undoubtedly one of the most discussed sub subjects that weekend. And they began to ask the Lord, how, how is it that you don't know what's going on? You know, where have you been? Uh, Luke 24, 18, and the one of them whose name was Cleophas answering, saying unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass? Uh, there in these days, and he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, verse 19, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the other rulers delivered him uh, to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And so as they begin to have this conversation, they're saying to him, how could you not know what's been happening in Jerusalem in these last several days? But I love this. Notice his information. <laughs> he takes over the conversation. Verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Let me just pause and say this. Our Savior was the most compassionate preacher that ever lived. Yet I've never started a sermon saying, oh fools, <laughs> slow of heart. I was preaching up in New York one time and I really, uh, we were having a good meeting, but a man came out and he said, you need to preach more like Jesus. I said, oh really? He said, oh yes. He said, you, you need to preach more like Jesus. I said, well, come tomorrow night and I'll preach one of Jesus' sermons. So I began to quote verses like Jesus said, you know, that they were uh, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones, just began to quote Jesus, and after a while, you know, I could see his face, and after the service, he said, go back and preach your own sermon, man, that's pretty tough. The truth of the matter is, sometimes Jesus could be firm with the religious crowd. He was always compassionate with the really was looking for help, man. Sometimes people would come to Jesus. Now, Jesus never coddled people in their sin. Jesus never said, oh, it's okay, you just go ahead and live however you want to. Oh, no, a thousand times no. He would say things like this, go and sin no more. But he was very gracious with people on an individual basis, no doubt about it. But as Jesus began to speak to them, notice what he said. He said, you're slow in heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now listen, he's asking them. You have been following Him, you've been listening to Him preach, but you also have been privy to the Old Testament. And if you know the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to what would happen. I mean, the birth of Jesus Christ was prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, that His name would be called Emmanuel, that He would be God with us. The Bible prophesied that Jesus would die on the cross, Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we were healed. You go throughout the whole Bible. You go all the way back to the tabernacle. You go back before that uh, when they introduced the, uh, the uh, Passover. Go all the way back in, uh, even in the Bible there in, in, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned and God slayed an animal and the message of the blood uh, was uh, beginning right there in the garden. I'm just simply saying... Jesus was that lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And he begins to expound to them what God said in his word. And we notice he goes all the way back, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. The next time you think the preacher's preaching too long, imagine if he went all the way back to Genesis and perused all the way through the Old Testament. I don't know how long it took him. They were walking a few miles, but I can't imagine. I'm sure it was an overview. But Jesus began to expound, what a preacher, what a message that must have been. And he begins to share with them all the things concerning himself. His message was expository. The Bible said of, he exposed to them of, of all the law and the prophets that spoke of him, and he tied it all together. Don't you love it when you're studying the Word of God and it just starts to come together? Wonderful portraits in the Old Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ that you can study. And, and, you know, for instance, there are many types in the Old Testament, like Joseph is a type of Christ. And you can study his life and, and see pictures and portraits of Christ. The tabernacle is a wonderful study of Christ and the principles of, of Christ that are, that are laid out in the study of the tabernacle. And it's such a joy to study those things and have them come together. And time and time again, uh, the Scriptures point out things. And it's just wonderful when a message comes together. Well, His message to them was expository, but not only that, it was explanatory. Jesus wasn't trying to 
bore them to tears. He was trying to help them to see who he really was. You know, Jesus is not just the Son of God, or the Son of God. He is God the Son. And you need to understand that. Years ago, when I served with my dad up at Tremont, <clears throat> he was the pastor there, and I was his associate pastor. And, and I don't know why, but for a period of time, dad used to have me preach quite often on Sunday night. He'd preach Sunday morning, and then we had the Bible study before the evening service, so he would be usually teaching a book of the Bible and usually preaching maybe through a series on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And so in the, in the second hour, he'd have me preach, and you know he would jokingly say to me, I hope he was joking, well, you know, I'm preaching through books of the Bible, I'm giving series, and I'm giving them meat, and you know, yours will be shallow, but it'll be exciting, so uh, we'll have you preach on Sunday night. But one day my dad came to me, and and he never did this before, Brother Large, and he said, uh, hey, what are you preaching on tonight? He'd never asked me that. And I said, well, wh why do you ask? He said, I was just curious. And so I said, you, uh, you want to preach tonight? He said, well, I always let you have Sunday night, but I've got something on my heart. I said, well, you're the pastor. Whatever you want is fine with me. He said, well, if you don't mind, he said, I know it's going to sound like a very simple thing. He said, but God is burdened in my heart to preach a message tonight on Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, He's God the Son. I didn't know that night in our services sitting over here, a couple in our church, his mother came to the service that night. She had just recently moved to our area. She was a Mormon. Back over on this side of the auditorium was a young couple sitting there. They too were Mormons. And the message my dad preached that night so explained to them who Jesus really was, that when the invitation was given, all three of them, they were unrelated, that couple and this lady, but all three of them walked the aisle that night, gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ, and got gloriously saved. And no doubt about it, God had led him to the right message for the right moment to preach that great truth. And can I tell you something, folks? God wants us to understand Jesus is not just another God to add to people's collection. He's the one and uh, only God, and uh, besides Him, there's no other. And Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of mankind, and it's so important we understand it. And, and so His message explained all these things, all that was fulfilled in Him, but His message was excellent. You know, here's two people that are walking along, and they're downhearted. But when Jesus comes at them from the doldrums of defeat and despair and discouragement to hope and happiness, real heartfelt rejoicing. Man, all of a sudden they went from being sad and hopeless to being excited and rejoicing. And we noticed that is all because of one message. You know, what a difference one sermon can make in your life. You might be here tonight and you're lost. And the Word of God can prick your heart and you can get under conviction and get saved by the grace of God. One message could change your life. And Jesus begins to speak to them. Notice thirdly the triumphant Christ as we read here on in verse number 28. The Bible said here after of course Jesus finished His sermon, they drew nigh unto the village whither they went and He made as though He would have gone further. But they constrained Him saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. Now, that's interesting to me, of course, uh, the Bible said that uh, Jesus uh, acts like he's going to walk on, and they uh, noticed their plea. They compelled him to come with them. Now, I live in the South. We have what's called Southern hospitality. Now, I don't mean to be unkind. If you're from the South, you'll understand this, but 
in the South, it's not uncommon. I've knocked on doors. People say, come on, preacher, and I'll have them say stuff to me like, just tell my wife the other day, we got to get in church. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, if everything works out, we'll be there Sunday, knowing they're not going to come Sunday. I mean, it's just they're being polite. And, uh, you know, one thing about, I lived up north, too, and I tell you, many a time people would tell me, no, I'm not coming, but I knew they were telling me the truth. And uh, sometimes I think, wow, you know, you said you'd be here Sunday. But Jesus is acting like he's going to go on. Because in the culture of the East, it was, re it was really a requirement that you would show that kind of hospitality, come on to our house. But it was something that was done of a courtesy, you didn't even have to mean it. And if they didn't feel like you really wanted them there, they'd move on because you did what you had to do. But in the culture of our Lord's time, when they said to him, no, no, we really want you to come. That word compelled means they're just pleading for him. In other words, they're letting Jesus know, we're not just giving you a common courtesy to say, why don't you come to our house? They really wanted him to come to their house. And when Jesus saw their desire to have him come, of course, he agreed to go and went to their house. And we notice as they invite him to their house, uh, the Bible tells us, of course, these folks must have been Baptists because the Bible said, uh, uh, came to pass as he said it, meet with them. You know, that's how Baptists spell fellowship, F-O-O-D. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But uh, man, they're sitting down to a good meal. And uh, they begin to, of course, uh, eat that meal together. And notice what the Bible said in verse uh, uh, 30. And they said, uh, and it came to pass as he said it, meet with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Notice his prayer. Came to pass as he said it, meet with them. He took bread and blessed it and break it, the Bible said, and gave to them. Verse 31 said, and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. I'll tell you, that must have been an interesting moment when Jesus broke the bread and then prayed. All of a sudden it dawned on them who he was. And I'll get to that in a moment, but I think it's so neat, so exciting, so special that all of a sudden they recognize who he is. And in that moment, uh, he disappears. He vanishes away from them. And boy, that had to be on the one hand when they knew who he was, but disappointing when all of a sudden he's no longer in their presence. But man, as they begin to talk, notice their persuasion. The Bible said their eyes were opened. They recognized him. They knew him. But notice their remarks in verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us? Well, we talked with us and while he opened to us the scriptures. Every once in a while, you know, it, it ought to be our habit to read our Bible every day, to study from the Word of God. But every once in a while, don't you love it when God just really speaks to your heart from his Word? And you know God has spoken to you and you get so excited. Man, you're so excited. You may even share it with somebody and they're not as excited as you are. But in your heart, man, it's what I call holy heartburn. You feel it just inside of you. It's like, man, it's like God had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. And that's what they're talking about. They said, did I, our hearts burn with it? We should have known it was Him. There was something about what He said. There was something about the way He said it. It just captured our hearts. And Man, they got all excited about it as they began to realize this was Jesus, the risen Savior, in their presence. But notice their return. In verse 33, the Bible said, and they rose up the same hour. Now think about this. They returned to Jerusalem. They had just walked seven miles or so to get back to their home, ate an evening meal, realized it was Jesus in their presence. I like to think that when they headed back to Jerusalem, 
they were moving just a little faster. I think there was a spring in their step. I think there was a song on their lips. I think there was joy in their heart. I think they were realizing, hey, we really do serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. You know, one of the things I want to instill to my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, is that we really do serve a true and living God. That we don't just have religion, that we're not just going through the formalities of having church, but we have a Savior who's alive and He lives within our heart. The difference between biblical Christianity and all the other religions of the world is their Saviors, their Messiahs, if you want to call them that, are dead and buried and gone. But our Savior's alive. and Boy, they got excited about it. They took off running back to Jerusalem, wanted to let everybody know, I know there's been rumors, I know different people have said it, but I know for a fact that He's risen. Well, you know He's alive, Brother Graham. Well, first of all, because of the empty tomb. He's not there, He's risen. But I'll tell you, not only the empty tomb, how about the eyewitnesses that saw Him? The Bible said that there was eyewitnesses like right here, and then, of course, the Peter saw Him, and, and uh, the Mary saw Him, and others that saw Him one by one. But what about the Scripture that said He was seen of above 500 witnesses at one time? You know, it takes two to three witnesses to make something confirmed in a courtroom. Could you imagine 500 witnesses at one time seeing him alive and risen? And Boy, the eyewitnesses. But I'll tell you something else that makes me know that he's alive is because of the evidence of lives that he's changed over the course of years. Think about Peter before the resurrection, how that he denied the Lord and how that he thought God was done with him. But when he met with Jesus by the fireside and all of a sudden he got revived in his heart, it was Peter who stood on the day of Pentecost and preached. And the Bible said there were about 3,000 souls that were saved that day. Think about the change. These men were once cowering in the corner fearful of what would happen, all of a sudden they're boldly witnessing He's alive. But not just their lives, down through the years of time, the lives that He's changed, drunkards who've been sober, and, and the people with lives of impurity made pure, and people with all kinds of vice and all kinds of vileness in their life get born again by the grace of God. What a life-changing God we serve. And man, I'm telling you, I've seen it time and time again, and it makes me know I serve a risen Savior. But I'll tell you, I know he's alive because of the experience of meeting him personally. August 12, 1970, Christ came into my heart and life. And I can say to you, dear friend, he's real. He's alive. I want everybody to know we're not just, listen, we're not just a, having a form of religion. We have a real, genuine relationship with a living Savior. And see, we notice as they returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven gathered together. And uh, them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And, of course, they get in conversation. He hath appeared to Simon, and they told uh, what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. They said, you know, we, we didn't know him at first. Somehow we couldn't see it. But, man, when he started breaking the bread, and I've wondered about that, maybe as they reminisce back times when he took the bread and broke the bread and they saw the miracle of the feeding, maybe when he broke the bread for the first time, they saw the wounds that were in his hands as they realized the price he had paid. But somehow, when Jesus broke the bread and blessed it, they said, oh, did not our hearts burn within us? That's him. That's who was walking with us, by the way. That's who was preaching to us. That's who sat at our table. Oh, what a blessing it was as they went back and shared with the others what Jesus had done in showing up. What a message they had heard. Oh, think about it. What a moment they had enjoyed. I think about this. What a miracle they had witnessed. He died, was buried, and rose again. Remember when the ladies were walking and they were saying, 
that we're going to go anoint Jesus' body and wonder how we're going to get the stone rolled away. And they get there and it's already rolled away. But he's not there. Remember Mary said, uh, to, uh, she thought it was the gardener and she said, they've taken my Lord and I know not where they laid him. And Jesus spoke to her. and Well, she realized he wasn't the gardener, but he was the Savior. I'm just simply saying what a, what a miracle they had witnessed. He has risen. What a Messiah they serve. He's alive. What a mission they were given to go and tell the world. You'll read on later in this chapter where he gives a commission to the believers to go out and to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. What a memory they would cherish the rest of their lives as they said, did not our hearts burn within us while we walked by the way? Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you had a good taste of heavenly holy heartburn. Maybe reading your Bible, and boy, it just jumped out at you. He's alive. He spoke to my heart. He fed my soul. He met this need. I'll tell you, I'm glad that we can sing with the songwriter. He walks with me and he talks with me. I'm glad we can sing with the songwriter. There really is victory in Jesus. I'm glad we can recognize, dear friend, that his blood made the difference in our life. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us? In a little while, in this very same area that they've gone back to, in that very room, he's going to show up again. That's a message for another day. But can I tell you something? I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. If you don't know him tonight, you say, well, preacher, I've, I've always believed there's a God. Well, the devil believes and trembles. That's not enough. Just to acknowledge there is a God, dear friend, doesn't make you a believer. You must be born again. You have to realize you're a sinner. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray according to the word of God. And so we have to recognize we're a sinner, but just admitting you're a sinner is not going to take you to heaven. You've got to realize that he's the Savior. You've got to be willing to recognize that he died, that he was buried and he rose again. And then you must be willing to repent of your sins and receive Christ in your heart. And he will gift you with that glorious gift of salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you're saved tonight, why don't you uh, inventory? When's the last time that you could say, wow, well, God really met with me tonight. God really spoke to my heart today. God really let his word come through in a special way. And, well, it just made me so excited. I had to tell somebody else about it. I had to share the good news with somebody else. I had to say to somebody else, hey, listen, I had a good case of holy heartburn. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Listen, God wants to spend time with us and longs for us to spend time with him we sing sweet hour of prayer and so often ignore time and prayer with him we talk about these this book and i believe this is the word of god as the preacher said last night then we neglect it like it's not necessary for our life but oh if we could just get a glimpse of him and listen to him dear friend what a revival could take place in our hearts and lives and we could say did not our hearts burn within us while we walked by the way? Father, thank you for the word of God. The, 